Hey everyone, welcome back to Delmarva's own podcast, where we talk to Delmarva people and tell Delmarva stories. No heavy lifting on the intro or outro this week, because we're back with part two of our conversation with Delmarva's own Enneagram expert, Christy Engel. Enjoy. All right, so we are back with Christy for part two of Delmarva's Enneagram expert. By the time I put these out, I'll have a better title. Yeah. Jeff, you wore that last time. This? This? I wore this last time? Sure, it looks familiar. Even the same hat. Yeah, I'm getting older. I don't care what I wear anymore. If (laughs) if it doesn't smell bad, I I put it on. (laughs) You're reverting to like a 16-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah. Well... (laughs) They don't even care what smells usually, but... Are you wearing <laughs> Axe body spray, Jeff? It's all over them. <laughs> you nailed it! <laughs> yeah, no. Hey, something we didn't talk about, we probably should have talked about very first. Uh, you touched on it, but tell us about, uh, before we get in back into the test, the origins of the Enneagram. I think you said the roots are in spirituality and, and religion. Yes. Um, so, no one knows the... Uh, the exact origins with certainty, um, but it goes back like millennia. Like teachers can date it back to the fourth century for sure, where it was used by desert mothers and fathers as an oral wisdom tradition. So passed down from spiritual guide or leader to students. So we're talking like 300 AD. I thought she was going to say the 90s. So, right. (laughs) Um, So... Both are true. So, um, <laughs> as with many things, um, yes, like some take it back to Pythagoras, which is around that oh, it time. Oh, was terrible geometry. And others are more around um, Evagoras Ponticus, who sure. was like yeah. 480. Yeah, and went extinct. Yep, I remember. Yeah, anyway. So, um, <laughs> so that's like the earliest traceable... Um, the origins now in its current form with the figure that we see and the nine types um, as they are. So they kind of go back to the seven deadly sins and then plus two more fear and deceit that were added to create the nine. Um, And that's maybe next level Enneagram teaching. That's like Enneagram. That's like a sit down session type of thing to get into. Um, And that basically says we all struggle with like a certain deadly sin if you want to use that term or passion um so um not me randy when do we eat (laughs) right (laughs) and then more so uh in its current context um it came to the united states around the 70s in in the u.s and Mm -hmm. then in the 80s it was first published because again before that it was taught from spiritual teacher to student Mm. or to a group of students it was published in the 80s by the aforementioned helen palmer and Richard Rohr says that once she got it out, he was like, okay, cat's out of the bag. So he put out some cassette tapes as it was in the, the mm-hmm. 80s. And then it became a little bit more widely known. Okay. And then with the advent of the internet, of course, it became a household term. And here we are today. Okay. So All right. So if you're interested in the Enneagram and you want to know where you fall on the spectrum, how do we go about testing ourselves or, or finding out? Well, I will say... Um, as an addendum to my last answer, but also leading into this one, my concern uh, is to honor that ancient tradition. So anything that memifies the Enneagram or reduces it to a mm-hmm. fun thing to do at like a dinner party, it makes me cringe. Like okay. it, it's, um, 
it has such rich and meaningful um, roots and origins that I want to honor that tradition. So in that um, vein, I want to, like, regarding knowing your own type, it's inner work. It's so sitting. So maybe if if I'm hearing you right, a test, quote unquote, is really maybe a first step to introducing us to which path we might be looking down so many people just will go to a test google something on the internet and find a test and i would say proceed with caution Mm -hmm. a test can be useful it can be informational it is not diagnostic and that's the that's the major caution flag because most people read it like i've heard the number of people i've heard say oh i'm a three and i'm like how do you know test told me i'm like uh like I was at this dinner party. Yeah, and, right. Uh, <laughs> the host handed me a card that said I'm a three. So, uh, um, yeah. So while a test can be helpful, I would encourage you to hold it as a piece of information, not diagnostic. Okay. Uh, I would recommend two that rise above the rest for me because of repeated validity and um, uh, continual studies on their approach. And the the thorough nature of the test. And those would be uh, IEQ-9 by Morgan, sorry, Ian Morgan Cron. So you can Google that. It's IEQ-9. I think that's about, that's a $60 test. And then the READY test, R-H-E-T-I by the Enneagram Institute is, I think that one's only $12. These are both reputable sites. Um, So do you have to pay for them? Well, you don't have to, but... Yes, I advise you not to take just any option off the internet, as with anything. Mm. Good advice. Um, But really, Mm. my best advice is to sit with someone who knows the Enneagram, knows, is is qualified and trained to help you determine your type, um, or do your own self-research with, there's lots of good books on the market, that's another good place to start. And do you see the seriousness of it growing where you're i mean you've you've done it for a few years but i'm sure you're seeing more people as you go that's just kind of the nature of business you hope um but do you also see beyond your experience do you see it growing in other areas like that taking it more seriously and actually seeing someone who knows what they're talking about i hope so i think um if we can get trained professionals i.e counselors and therapists and um uh, psychologists and those in that field who are in a helping role, coaches even, in a helping role who are working with people, if we can get those people to take it seriously and to use it in the manner in which it was intended to be used, I think we'll see that come to full circle and also be honoring the ancient traditions that are held. It's, do you think part of the hesitation, I don't know if there's hesitation or the 70s really from a research and professionalism, best practices point of view, isn't that long ago? Yeah. Is is the uh, lack of use by um, professional counselors, do you, do you think it's just because it's not necessarily scientific and they're hesitant to go into something that has its roots in spirituality as opposed to science? Um and do you see that maybe changing as um, as our culture changes? And you know, we're constantly now saying everybody should go to therapy for because it, it's helpful. Um, 
do you see that you see that counselors might use this more as there's more exposure to it and they see benefits for clients? Yeah, I think so. I I kind of feel a little bit unqualified to talk about the empirical data for okay. the Enneagram and for for that matter for other typology systems as well. Um but um I would just say um my best guess, and again, I don't feel qualified here, but my best guess is to say um, it's useful when applied as intended, as directed, um, as is shown by people's testimonies. Um, like that's why, so I was trained in the narrative tradition, which means we hear people's stories mm-hmm. and that's how we gain our data. So if repeated stories are changing what we thought we understood we change our theory based on that um and it's one it that was like a point for me that was like okay i that makes sense to me we're not just putting a a pin in the floor and saying this is the hill we're gonna die on we're like tell me more and then again if we hear that in in a repeatedly in, in population then we would adjust accordingly okay all right. My guess is it's not evenly distributed between the nine. Uh, there's got to be a more popular one. Like, what are the more popular types of people that have taken it? Obviously, it's a it's a sample like any sample. Yeah, maybe more common. Yeah, most common number or or. Yeah, this is um, fun to consider. Enneagram teachers often will say they think there's more sixes in the population than any other type. And what's six again? Just for- so the six is the the loyalist or the um, devil's advocate. The six is known for holding our communities together. They're the people who are uh, most concerned with the common good. They tend to, these are the people that are scanning for danger and, and ultimately wanting security, both for self and others. Um. So they are, um, they really serve in our community to, for, uh, to bring us together and to be concerned with what might serve all of us. And that's a quality that obviously we need. Um, so some, some guess that there might be as much as 50% of the population are sixes. Wow. I don't know that there's data on that, yeah. but or I haven't seen data on that, but um, another type I hear that there may be a lot of is nine, which is uh, the mediator. Um, again, you can see how that is like a common good type themed individual. So is part of it maybe that people that want the common good are the kind of people that take this? <laughs> well, I, yeah. it's almost mm. like should we force some people <laughs> to take it that maybe w- you just because you've got to be you know, obviously interested in wanting to do it. So I'm wondering. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. Yeah. It because is. it kind of doesn't match what I'm, well, I, the, as I say, the political climate today, but it's always the political climate, right? That there's yeah. these two different styles of thought, schools of thought. So are there, yeah, if there's data on that, is that because this is, this is the data set we have and that's the personality type that would, would gravitate towards Yep. I mean, I would make room for that for sure. Um, I would also say, though, like the other side of that coin is or typical of a six to have the other side of the argument, which which is my type. Um, Sixes are known as skeptics. So they will question the authority 
So in this case, the authority being the Enneagram or a test. Or... Okay. So um, when sixes deem that the authority is trustworthy, then they're hyper loyal to it. Like hmm. then I'm all in and uh, they don't leave those structures e- easily. But if I deem that this, that the structure is not trustworthy, then I would like it'd be off my radar. I would like then there's no to the Enneagram. So like or whatever structure it would be. Like so if it's if it's my employer at work and I deem you not trustworthy, like sixes will go as far as like I'm gonna take you down. Like so yeah. um yeah, so I don't know. There's I can see it both ways. Mm-hmm. So as things play out in the world and not you must have looked at certain people celebrity types and said hey they are probably on this spectrum do you, what do we have are there any people out there that you that you let's start with the being... amber heard trial no, I'm just <laughs> wow. amber heard johnny Depp. I'm just kidding don't, wow. don't start there. Oh, man. um yes this is super fun to think about and i again my caution flag goes up here too because of that whole idea of not wanting to memify the Enneagram. So right. um, I will always say, like, we don't type other people. These You're just are... too good of a person for this question, <laughs> I, I guess. Come on. <laughs> These are observations, but I'll yeah. play along just for fun because for the sake of helping us see maybe some patterns or um, and even some underlying motivations. Um, but obviously, I haven't worked with any of these people. Like, um, So it's similar to how a therapist would never say that person's a narcissist because that's yeah yeah that's just not best practice but um but for the sake of uh patterns and um and understanding so um a a good type one the uh, perfectionist the reformer would be queen elizabeth who is super Mm. tied to tradition Mm. and um making so making sure everything is quote right like she's i mean she's in charge of making sure all her people are right Mm -hmm. and doing the right thing on behalf of the nation and um so she has that like in spades i think that tendency to improve Uh, she wants to leave the monarchy better than she found it all those things and then like in a in another vein where it's this is a silly one but that shows a type one who is not doing their work or is hypercritical would be the church lady from SNL. I don't know if you know that character. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, Dana Carvey. Isn't that special? Yes, yeah. that one. So um, that shows like that critical judgmental nature um, that a one can take on when they're uh, not doing their work. Hmm. Um, type two, uh, I think of Martha from the Bible. No, wait a second. Let me go back for a second. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by not doing their work? I know this is, we're talking about a fictional character, but what, what do you mean by not doing their work? So being unaware, um, like a, a type one, when they are at a place of um, frustration and stress, so they're going to deal with anger anyway. They're in an anger triad, which again, like we don't have time for all the specifics, but <laughs> there's three triads within the Enneagram. There's lots of triads within the Enneagram, but... One of them is anger. Three types are in anger triad. Three types are in a fear triad. And three types are in a sadness or a, a grief at loss um, triad. Okay. So um, type one's in the anger triad. So when they're in that place and part of their anger is more resentment and frustration at not being able to fix all the things. Um, and then uh, that can be exposed. You can see that coming out in their actions. And okay. All right. Yeah. Harry and Megan. Yeah. What she did. Yeah. <laughs> Side note. Uh, so type two, I have uh, Martha in the Bible. Martha is seen as the one scurrying around to be um, 
present to and helpful to Jesus and his disciples when they come to her home. And you also see the resentments. You also see her. Um, she gets like really pissed when others aren't helping her. Mary. Yep. And like also. I think that's what she said to Jesus, wasn't Came up to Jesus, I am pissed. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, we can go back to the original language. I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a different scholar than me. But um, so. But you, I know a guy. Yeah, I know a guy. Yeah. Get that guy on. So, um, yeah, so you see that come out when it's not reciprocated or honored uh, or noticed. Okay. Um, type three. This one is rem- uh, another. This is a cartoon. Uh, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. He's looking mm. in the mirror all the time. Mm-hmm. He's. Um, but then to Belle's father, he appears like he, he's going to take care of his daughter. Like he wants to appear to be the good son-in-law. Um, he talks to Belle about like all the, look at all my things I've conquered and these, my kill, my killings are on the wall and like he wants to put to, uh, front of success. Mm. So, um, type four, one of my favorites, David Rose from Schitt's Creek, <laughs> um, is, uh, a, a great type four character also i think moira um would fall under that but just you see the aesthetic and even in everything they do i mean talks about having a mood board for everything and like a certain um individuality put out into the world Mm -hmm. um type five (laughs) sheldon from big bang theory I was not a regular watcher of that show, but I know enough to know that Sheldon clearly falls into type five category where he's uh, type fives often have like a niche interest and um, they take on that observer quality, the investigator quality. They're like their animal would be like the owl perched up in the tree, just watching everything from all directions. So I know not a Big Bang Theory guy, but I think young Sheldon's pretty good. It is. I've watched a couple of the young Sheldons. Never seen that. It's oh worth seeing. Yeah, my daughter was watching it first. My son I, was, yeah. and I was like, wow, this is actually better. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Doesn't make me want to give uh, Big Bang. Yeah, yeah, kid's, still kid's a fantastic actor. I don't know his name. But yeah. Just terrific. young Sheldon. Yeah. This commercial's over. <laughs> uh, type six. Remember, I talked about two types to the six, the counterphobic and the phobic. So I see this in the Cowardly Lion, which Cowardly is in his name. Six is in the Fear Triad. So it tracks. Um, But the Cowardly Lion shows up on the scene coming out of the woods and attacking Dorothy, Toto, and her traveling companions. He comes out with big energy. He's roaring at them. But underneath all that is fear. Mm. So he really exemplifies the counterphobic front in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. And then later in the... the, uh, up in the movie, and this is true of sixes as well, they're on a spectrum, so they go back and forth. They flow in this space. Later in the movie, um, when he sees the wizard and he's presented with... Spoiler alert. Yep. He sees his fire and, and his loud, booming voice. He runs down the hallway and jumps out the window, so he reacts mm-hmm. in a phobic manner. So let me ask a question about that. When we talk about race relations, um, over the past two years with the... The marches we've had for Black Lives Matter. My observation um, from you know just just what I watch is that there's a lot of shouting that goes on, particularly from white people, who don't do much more than shout, um, or sometimes don't live up to the the standard they're shouting about. I'll give you an example, um, and this may be a caveat that I'll edit out i don't know but one um a 
a point for Democrats that they supposedly really care about is housing. Um, but we find that Democrat stronghold cities, the housing is terrible, mm. just terrible. Um, and I got thinking about there's a there's a certain amount of comfort in the life. Well, I'll only point myself like I live a pretty comfortable life, and for sometimes I feel like to make real change in the world. I'd have to put that comfort at, um, I'd have to risk it. And so I might come to a march and shout real loud and use these signs. But underneath it, there's a lot of fear about making real change. Mm-hmm. Um, it. I'm just wondering if this is one way that would play out for a loyalist, somebody who's like, I want I want change. I want you to want appear, appear supportive of one thing, but live another well, not that you even want to live the other, but you just right. are because you're fearful of what the change would cost. Yeah. Yeah. Typically, a six will attempt to gather support. So if I have friends around me that are also believing the same things and going to come to the march with me, then that emboldens them um, because they don't have an inner sense of their own authority, support, or even abilities Um, so they will outsource that to other people, but when they have that, then that may move them to action despite their fears. Okay. Um, but a six who is, um, who is aware of that dynamic within themselves and willing to own their own inner authority will move more to the counterphobic side. Um, not in a, not in the front way, like we talked about with the cowardly lion, but in a way of like, this is when they're moving into a space of, of their best health and growth and integration is when they can move forward with, they take on the right action of a nine. So they're moving forward. Um, but they also can embody an inner peace about it. Okay. Um, so that's, that's in line with the work of a six. Yeah. Which is? What we've seen is the most, it's the most common, six, right? Yeah. All right. For those that... I uh, mean, that's what a lot of people think. Yeah. 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 So, all right. um, Moving on. So we have type seven, and here we have the enthusiast, um, the person who wants the next adventure. Um, So Robin Williams, um, Michael Scott from The Office. (laughs) Uh, and peter pan because peter pan is that character who doesn't grow up he doesn't um ironically robin williams played an adult didn't he play an adult he did play an adult peter oh right yes and hook yes that's exactly this film i watched every now and then you know robin williams is a national treasure like i he's I mean, he's greatly missed. His work is greatly missed. But we had a year the other year where I was like, I would say, maybe it was probably during COVID. And I was like, let's watch all of Robin Williams' films. Yeah. I just think he's a gem. Yeah. I just got super sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I loved him, you know, and I love him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, yeah, that was tough. That was a tough one. What he brought to the world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So. Wow. Way to bring it down. I know, right? Okay. Well, let's move on to type eight. <laughs> Gosh. Um, type eight uh, is. Um, they're just forces in the world, and, and they can really bring about so much good. So we see this in a healthy Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. Um, bringing a voice to the voiceless. And um, so type 8s, unlike the type 6, who also can come with big energy, they don't have fear underneath that. 
um, they are coming with all of their resources to, um, yeah, to like make the world better and to to speak up for those who need it. And then like Princess Jasmine in Aladdin, we can see that where she's like going against the system. She's like, no, mm. I don't want to marry just another prince and I don't want to marry these doofuses. Like, um, so, and then she, um, she then in the end, the laws are changed and then she's still in her authority. Um, but she is living out what's true to herself. So, so how, because uh, earlier you said the challenger or boss yeah. will avoid vulnerability. Yeah. Um, is there somewhere, and this is putting you on the spot, um, where you saw that maybe play out with Dr. King, uh, where there was an area where maybe, because when I think vulnerability, I think humanity. Yeah. You know, um, and sometimes we don't, appreciate vulnerability it'd be interesting for me to go back and and do more studies especially about his younger life but Mm. because i think by the time he became a figure on the world stage um he was um he just embodied so like when when aids are afraid of vulnerability they are afraid of that softness and they bring that big tank energy okay um and and when they can lean into their innocence it like reminds them of um their um their their power being used in a way that is good and beneficial for others i i just think that that's where we see him at his best that's a that's a shining example, but yeah, I don't know that I. And I think you also said these are what these nine things are what people project yes. on the world, right? So certainly in Dr. King's position, um, doing what he did, vulnerability might have been the last thing that he wanted to project for the the mission that he had in life. Yeah, and he also died young, so. He did. I often think, you know, in our current times where it feels like the whole world is absolutely insane. I think we've been here before. The 60s were a hot mess. This mm-hmm. Everything was at unrest. You know, our leaders were being assassinated one after another. And um, we we rose again, you yeah. know, and so it gives me History hope. repeats itself. Do we learn these lessons? We got to look like people say it's unprecedented, but in, in its own way it is. Can you but imagine also- if the 60s had Twitter? Oh. Right. Man. I mean, it, it, it. that's what I think makes it feel like such a dumpster fire sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because whatever you want to see or consume, you can find. Yeah, oh, and absolutely. You, can, and you may have felt a certain way about something and thought maybe, maybe it's a little outlandish, but then you see a group of people that feel the same way and you don't feel so outlandish in your thoughts. Or right. Maybe you would have reined back and reassessed something that may be outlandish that you thought but no i've got this group of people that i can find so right. before we told our neighbor and now we're screaming at somebody from the safety of a computer screen and mm-hmm. you know you know it just really is taking a hit on our humanity and yep. uh so yeah so peacemakers peacemakers <laughs> great um, transition <laughs> yeah speaking of world leaders here i have ronald reagan um, and, uh, then some two TV characters that have come to mind, Marty Bird from Ozark. Oh. Um, he, I just love, well, I love Jason Bateman. 
Same. Be careful what you say now, okay, buddy? But <laughs> he's always like, <laughs> we're going to be, he always, okay, all right, we're going right. to be okay, all right. Okay. I mean, how do you stay cool under the circumstances I mean, he faced? I would have been crumbling yeah. on the floor, episode <laughs> over, like show over, because yeah. she can't handle another thing. And yeah. he's uh, always trying to manage all the things and also remain unflappable and unaffected. And um, and then Randall from This Is Us. <laughs> so, yep. Um, hmm. Anyway, again, just for fun. Those are all good and just for fun, you know. And they're char- some some real people, obviously. And some well, yeah, but I like how you chose mainly fictional characters. Yeah, that was good, except for one, which brings me to my next question: Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Well, and Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, you mentioned yeah. a few real people yeah. in there. Um, Queen Elizabeth, though, makes me wonder how much of this is nature versus nurture, oh, yeah. because the people growing up within the royal family seem to have less problem with the the regulations and rules of what do they call it the the company um or i forget yeah, what megan markle um, called it the company uh, sounds right but now i'm wondering if yeah. i'm getting that confused with something but else. people who like megan markle uh princess diana they had it just didn't work for them yeah um so what would you you know where's the interplay of nature versus nurture and and the enneagram types it's such a good question, and it's one that is raised in almost every group I'm in, and uh, there's remains debate about this among Enneagram circles. I will say that most people I've heard and my own um, observations would lead me to say as well that the Enneagram itself is more um, nature than nurture, meaning we're born with one type that we lean to I think of it I kind of think of it like we're tethered to it so even if we we go out to the other types and stress or security we go out to our wings the number on each side of our number that flavors our type but we are tethered to one from which we continually operate Um, however uh, subtypes which is um, again Enneagram 2.0 that um, is where I think we can see more nurture playing a part we tend to see more subtypes within uh, similar subtypes within family groups um, repeating um, where with Enneagram type you can have they've done twin studies where they're both raised obviously in the same setting at the same time with the same parents and we see very different type structure showing up repeatedly so um, we tend to think Enneagram is nature and then maybe with subtypes we get into more nurture okay all right it is funny I talk to my kids a lot they you know my daughter's 13 my son's 10 and they battle like siblings uh but it's like you two are the only people growing up the way that i mean whenever i try to bring peacemaker in that sense trying to bring them together and saying you're the only one that's going to understand what the other one is being brought up in or you know obviously hopefully we're similar to a lot of other families we're doing the best we can that sort of thing but i just it is always that battle between you know what you're growing up in and what you what you are and uh, it is so strange to see because it's it's very common to see very different. You know, my brother and I have a great relationship, but we're very different in a lot of ways, and that's okay. But it's like we grew up the same, so it's it's strange to see that. But mm. you know, yeah. and and I'm sure, like you said, when you study that, it's like a lot of it is this and not that. So it is. It's it's fascinating. I think. Um, I will speak about parenting. Um, if I had known that my son was a five when he was five, um, I I would have parented differently. Um, we we mm. don't 
type children. I was so going to ask that next. Yeah. I'm like, I might still have have a chance here. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, again. Well, he, you know, we laugh about that, but if you get familiar with these possible types that children are growing into, my son came to me recently in a car ride. It was, it was basically this, dad, you're ticking me off conversation. And I'm super fortunate. I have a son. the dad jokes? <laughs> it was not the dad jokes. Uh, That's a fair question. I, <laughs> I, I was, I'm fortunate that I have a son that will come to me and say that. And I, I told him part of my, um, I had been passive aggressive in some of the things I was saying to him, some things that I was frustrated with him for. And I make these passive aggressive jokes to other people about him sometimes. And he was coming to me like, this is, I don't, this is frustrating for me. And what I said to him was like, I just realized I am the parent of an adult now. And in a lot of ways, you are different than what I had envisioned before having children. And that's not bad. It's just a reality of like, oh, it is a completely different human being than you were. And I was unfair to assume he would be certain ways. Um, so now as a parent of, a, of, of an adult, I'm like, oh, now I need to learn how to get along with this other person who yes. has their own ways of looking at the world and acting out. Um, let them make their own mistakes. You know, you know things like that. And he might want to sleep till noon and that's going to – he doesn't. But as an example, that's going to drive you nuts. Yeah. You know? So um, back to what Randy's saying about his – he might be in a situation where now as a parent, he can learn earlier – who his kids are and that they are not who he is and help them develop into, you know, recognize what a child is. And I think there's something in the Bible about recognizing a, a child's strengths yeah. and letting them develop into who they are. And but when they're carefully old. when you're trying to, I'm sure classify and Cause it, yeah. I, I do. And even this whole time I'm thinking how often do people mm. when they're going through this, think of others, think of other people. Oh, this is so and so or this is so and so. But you got to be really careful with that, right? You do. And and so just like we talked about earlier, rather than typing, maybe identifying patterns, mm-hmm. you know, right. we might be able to figure that our child is more heart-centered than head or body-centered, for example, or any of that combination. Um, and that would inform our parenting. I think it's I I just did a parenting thing with our church a few weeks ago, uh, a Zoom call with some some interested parties, and we talked about parenting in the Enneagram, but um, just, I spoke just from my, my kids are now launched. They're both, um, I have one that just graduated college and one in college, but he lives on his own. So they're both out of our home as of like right now, like Mm. we're moving our next one out. It's fresh. It's now. Yeah, it's it's now, it's current. Um, And like there's just so many lessons I can take from that holding it all loosely like like that exact thing if you're parenting in a way that's like exactly opposite of what they need or want um, then we may have to make some adjustments from our preconceived notions of what we brought into parenting even things like overcorrecting from our own experience as a child you know like to be aware of Mm -hmm. um, some of those dynamics so um, Mm -hmm. the Enneagram can be incredibly useful but it is we have to remember at its core it's an inside job so it's theirs to type themselves and reveal their type to us as they understand it um, which won't happen until obviously they're they're adults um and I, I mean, I, I even often go as far as like some some teachers 
go farther than me. Like I, I won't say I won't work with teenagers with the Enneagram, but some teachers do. They're mm. like, no, no, no. Like do a little, like live a little life and get to know yourself first, yeah. you know, um, because There's otherwise. There's more time for discovery. Yeah. yeah like you, you don't even know who you are at right. 16. Who does, you know, like, yeah. so. And, well, um, we joked in the intro uh, about some dynamics, but in our, in our marriages, even um, couples to go through this. I mean, is that something you recommend just to someone that's seen, this kind of workout, you just have a better understanding of each other. Obviously, when you understand who you are first, you can then kind of understand others. Totally. And here I draw from my own experience, um, you know, because Josh and I are coming from different um, centers. I'm coming from a head center. He's coming from a body center. That's going to bring up different issues. We have a different um, we have a, we have the same orientation to time, which is another uh, dynamic of the Enneagram. Some people are future oriented, some are past, and some are present. Um, so there there's different levels, of course, to work through. We have different subtypes. So I am coming from a much more uh, self preservation place. So I have like this. I have like the safety security need from both angles. I'm a six and a self preservation six. So um, so I'm coming from that place. He's coming from a different subtype. So uh, when we can name those differences and understand what we're bringing to the table man i mean that that mm. goes way further in you know premarital counseling than we ever went you yeah. know oh yeah. Mm. yeah so what do, what have we missed anything um i don't think so i um i'd like to give a few recommendations for people sure. who want to know more absolutely um so um i love to recommend so i'll give two web te- websites um, and I'll give uh, maybe a couple books. Um, websites are the narrative enneagram.org. That is one that is a wealth of information. That's actually my certifying body. Um, but they have um, they have type descriptions and also differentials. Um, and that for a lot of people comes down to I'm uh, between these two types. So we have tools to help with differentiating. But anyway, there's some information on there about that. And then uh, the certification process and classes is on that website. And then also um, the Enneagram Institute is another that I really have loved over the years. It's a it's a good quick reference for various typing questions. Um, and then book wise. My she favorite. brought a bag of books, too. I brought a bag. I mean, have bag will One travel. of us really likes books. Well, I have a five wing, and my five wing loves books mm. and loves reading and loves gathering all the information. So um, so my first book uh, relating to the Enneagram and a great primer is Ian Morgan Cron's The Road Back to You. Uh, a lot of people do start with that one. That looks like you've read that more than once. It's been well-loved. Yeah, I mean, the notes are copious and the underlining and... Um, I'll just make this an obvious point. Most of my books that I have are flawless. I mean, they're in mint condition. Barely look like anyone's opened them. Why is that? <laughs> not sure. Not sure exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, Dr. David Daniels, who's a beloved teacher, he passed some years ago. He wrote The Essential Enneagram. He also started uh, the program that I took with Helen Palmer. So that's a good one as well. Um, and he's got a little, he's got a, a testing um modality in there that could be useful and he's a trusted source so um and then finally one of my favorites that i'm actually going to be rereading i read it a few years ago but it's worth the reread is called the sacred enneagram by christopher hewerts 
H-E-U-E-R-T-Z. Uh, the reason I love the Sacred Enneagram, this one took me in a different direction with the Enneagram. He focuses on um, this, a spiritual growth aspect, but in the end, um, he introduced me to the welcoming prayer, centering prayer, and the exam and the prayer of examine, which I did know about that one before, but uh, those three prayer practices, and he ties them into who they could be helpful for according to your Enneatype. So um, another good good option. All right. We'll say I didn't know what to expect coming in, but I mean, fascinating stuff, and I'm yeah. really glad we had the conversations today. Yeah, me too. So um, what would be the, the one, what's the best use for the Enneagram? Like why would, I know maybe it could have led with this question, but it's just, <laughs> it was on my mind right, right now. Like how would a person benefit most from understanding where they fit within the Enneagram? I think this, this could be part, again, I can stem from my own journey, my own inner work, but um, so a lot of this is coming from my own perspective and lens. But until we know ourselves, we can't accurately and effectively interact with the world, with our families, our loved ones, and with God. We can't, um, you know, we just don't have the tools. We are kind of operating as though in a fog. You know, and we're not going to see fully clearly. Um, the Bible tells us we, we will when we see face to face, then we'll have clarity. And so, for right now, we do see as though um, in a fog or only through a mirror. But we can get some clarity on our own essential self. We can move from our shadow self to our true self. And that's the journey that the Enneagram will bring you on. When you do that work, it will literally affect everything, your workplace, your family, your spiritual walk, your parenting. Hmm. Um, and so I would say that that's the, the core piece. Okay, great. So you have a website that's in development. I do. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be up pretty soon. Yes, uh, up and running real soon. It's called um, perennialcoaching.com. Okay. Uh, and I'll have a... a corresponding facebook page as well that's coming and so hopefully by the time this podcast is aired those are up and and running and active so. okay well i won't have this up tonight so <laughs> and you're also you're going to be our first guest blogger right exciting yes. yes you have no idea how excited i am about that because <laughs> <laughs> by far the most work i put into podcasts is the blog and I think like three people read each one of them. So. Well, I feel that's more my wheelhouse is, okay. is uh, written word than spoken word. This makes me a lot more nervous than um, being able to take my time and put my thoughts down and then re revise those thoughts. So I'm excited about that yeah, option. Yeah, great, great. And we'll have links for these books on there and how to get to you. And, and Perfect. And all that. So thank you so thank much. Thank you, for gentlemen. Coming. This has really been a, a great pleasure. Thank you pleasure. for offering. Like, to come on here so happy great. to do it thank you and I I am more interested now than I was before you um, skeptic I know right it was <laughs> we need all the skeptics to listen <laughs> to this podcast I don't want to face my truth oh. <laughs> so, well thanks for being here thank you Jeff right. thank you Randy thanks thanks for listening to Delmarva's own podcast where today we talk to Delmarva's own Enneagram expert Christy Engel 
If you like this episode, do us a favor and share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to get the word out. If you didn't like this episode, we'd like to hear about that too. Use that send us a message button on delmarvasown.com for anything you'd like to communicate to us. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and positive review if you're so inclined. Congratulations to Tammy Palmer from Salisbury. Tammy correctly answered our last podcast trivia question and scored her copy of the book Stardust by the Bushel by Brent Lewis. The actor Brent referenced in the podcast, which Tammy answered correctly, was Jim Carrey. Today's guest was Christy Engel, and the episode was hosted by Jeff Scott and Randy Scott. The podcast was written, sound engineered, edited, and produced by Jeff. Our next episode is about Fisherman's Village, the home of Fisherman's Inn, the Fisherman's Inn Crab Deck, and other restaurants on Kent Narrows. See you then, Delmarva.